lot of talk about greatest fans in the world this week, eh? Yeah. Wait, are you saying that because of the comment that I just made? No, I'm saying that because the Cubs uh, rallied five million people to the city of Chicago. Dude, Whoa. they did it. What What does it feel like? You're on the other side of the threshold, by the way. About like I thought it would be. <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Hmm. Yeah. Dude, it almost... Hearing... Well, yeah, five million people came to the Cubs victory parade. Like, did you that, see that it was the seventh, as estimated that, to be the seventh largest gathering in human history? It, yeah, I did. Somebody told me that I didn't. I didn't see it, but and like a few of them were like papal gatherings, and then something in like India or mm-hmm. I don't know. But it was it was in the top ten of all time gatherings of human beings in history ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like. There is something. I, I think this is going back. Even we were talking about this was like a couple months ago or a month ago or whatever. When it was, I think it was your question, Connor, of like, what do I have to believe in order to see? Mm-hmm. And dude, there is something with that to gather that many people. Like, and, and no one would say this about it. But there has to be, I guess my point is like, the world has to be sacramental for that to be possible. Hmm. Does that make sense? I think so. Go, go on. Well, it's like me and Mets and I were talking last night and um, I was telling them I went to my sister's this past weekend and did some like deer stand work and. Because deer season is in a couple weeks, which is like the best like weekend of the year for my family. How much love to deer hunt, favorite hobby, blah blah. blah. And there is something, and I know this is a subjective um, like experience too to me. But seriously, like my if I could do like one thing as far as hobbies for the rest of my life, it would be deer hunt. I freaking love it. Hmm. Um. And we were just talking about, like, I don't know, just the sports does that um, to some people. Like, there's a lot of things they can do that to people of, like, whatever. And it is a subjective experience, but there is something where, like, you lose yourself in it. And, you know, it's I, I always consider it, like, a really big gift when, when it's not an escapism or anything like that, but um, it's just a beautiful experience. And I did, I was thinking about that, I guess the past few days, but a little bit like before bed last night of five million people went into that to go to the Cubs victory parade. And I guess my whole thing was like, there, I, I do agree, like there is kind of probably like a lot of uh, disenchantment going on right now. Now that they've done it, like yeah. baseball, d- baseball doesn't fulfill us. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, or could it or should it? etc um but that was also like a real deal experience for people did that make sense yeah it fits uh well, I, I what i hear you saying is with the whole um sort of anticipation uh like what we were talked about before about what what you expect to see is often the lens through which you see reality and depending on what you expect to see um You'll either see one thing or the other. And our lens is the gospel. And so this, this whole sacramental worldview is that, um, you know, God has come into the world and has sort of sanctified it all with his with His presence. And the, this story is like the, uh, is the rubric for interpreting everything in history and everything in human affairs. And what, you know, what does it sound like that for... You know, basically forever, for more than, you know, anybody can remember, this team 
which everybody loves and has attached their heart to, has lost and lost and lost and heartbreak and heartbreak and been conquered by foes. And finally, the long-awaited saviors have come to restore them to victory, you know? Well, I think my... I and think everybody I, wants to be a part of it. Like, people just yeah. wanted to... Why, why did the five million go down there? Because I think it, it rang some bell in their heart that, like, whatever just happened, like, I want to... Like, I saw signs that said, I am a part of history, you know? I think that was a big motivation for people. They thought, like, I... No, that's true. Many have, yeah. like Jesus said, the prophets and patriarchs longed to see what you see and didn't see it, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of... There was a great story on ESPN, actually, um, of a of some people who died, like, right before um, the World Series or right before they won the World Series, like, long-time Cub fans. And sort of the the bitterness of some of that, you know, like, the Cubs just kind of ended up being a an occasion for people to bond, you know, like the, the Cubs were to yeah. remind them of their grandma or their dad, no, that's true. you know, and yeah. so like you just think, oh, he would have loved to see this, you know, um, and that I mean, that's very that's very true. But I think what I was getting at more was like I myself claim and and think I do hold to a sacramental worldview where like God's person and you know through his revelation is revealed in the world so stuff stuff matters like what happens to us matters the physical places that were mattered because it it is it can be infused with divine life and as you let yourself hold to more and more of a sacramental worldview you're able to see it and sometimes that veil gets very very thin between this world and the next this life and the next which is very cool but i guess it's like a distinction i'm trying to make for myself of yes i i do believe i hold to a sacramental worldview like how i see the world is sacramental or at least i hope that's the case but this is like an observation for me that the world itself is sacramental does that make sense? So like even if you do not have a sacramental worldview, the world is still sacramental. And like that's a big distinction for me. It, at least what I hear you saying is it's more than just my own lens that I see it through. Yeah. Like it's the actual objective fact of creation. Right. Is that it is sacramental. Right. So, you know, you take like a hardened atheist or you take a really hard example of someone that not only is like repulsed by the idea of a sacramental worldview but just like doesn't believe that it's remotely possible and even for that person even for that experience the world itself is still sacramental even if they wouldn't say it so it's not i mean even if you get to like the roots of the podcast like there is objective in the subjective mm-hmm um, and I guess, I don't know, and maybe it's a stretch, but it's like, that was just, it was kind of cool to see and that like stuff, even the, uh, I was at my sister's parish this weekend and I know that priest really well. He's a really good guy, but, and he was, ta- he talked about the Cubs winning the world series in his homily. And he talked about like how many just people he had talked to like Facebook posts, he noticed, et cetera, of like this deep connection that people felt to their deceased relatives that were Cubs fans that um, like how often he heard that narrative of like what this would have meant for grandma or mom or whatever. And his line was that like really stuck with me in the homily and I I didn't memorize it, but it's something to the effect of, and then he kind of wrapped in like all souls day with it of like, the reality that that human intuition is true. And so I think his point was that like if people are like talking to their deceased family members and loved ones because the Cubs won the World Series. Mm-hmm. And these people might be highly unreligious, like highly hold that there is nothing after this life. Yeah. But there's something in this experience of like suffering together with the Cubs that now, like, they talk to 
their loved ones, you know, on the other side of the, the grave. And so his point was like, that is a deeply ingrained human intuition. And something like this brings that out. And so all of that, it just kind of like made, yeah, that subtle distinction. And maybe it isn't that big of a thing, but it was like, you know, you can try to cultivate a sacramental worldview as much as you want to, but if the world isn't sacramental, it doesn't matter. Yeah. What, do you, what do you mean by the world is sacramental? Like we actually encounter God through the world. Mm. Like God's revelation really is present to us. Right. By putting ourselves uh, into even the things of the world, they are a vehicle for, like the imminent is a vehicle for the transcendent, in other words. Yeah, I mean, you know, like the most basic things, I guess, like at least in, uh, like to talk about the mass or whatever, it's that like bread and wine, like through the, through the mass, like through God, again, like breathing divine life into those actually have the capacity to become the body and blood of Christ. So it's not it's not magic. And so that, that's what I'm trying to like flesh out even mm-hmm. the difference, maybe like the difference between magic and sacrament. And like that's a subtle like mm. I wish I had a better understanding of it besides just like an intuition, yeah. honestly, to actually put words on it. Yeah. Even though the intuition speaks strongly of the fact of it. Right. So, yeah. I mean, we can systematize it. Right. Like I, I know how to like at least how I've been taught to walk through it in a systematic way to kind of put philosophical terms on these realities. Um, But I don't know. There's just something stirring there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the Cubs thing with the Day of the Dead, All Souls Day was was just wild. And I had I had two funerals this week on Friday and Saturday. So I was like I was at cemeteries and saw uh, a lot of cub stuff people laying cubs jerseys over gravestones um in that espn story there was a lot of uh you know harry carey's buried at all saints cemetery and displays and part of the story I, was all these people visiting his grave i went out and visited his grave you did when? yeah <laughs> it was offensive <laughs> it was there offensive. was there was jerseys and green apples and so many beer cans <laughs> you'll love beer all over his grave man yeah somebody left a jersey out with a sharpie and uh different people were signing it like win this one for so and so and but uh his son-in-law i guess all the games of the world series at least maybe the whole playoffs he would put on pat hughes um on the radio and when the game started he would turn the radio on and leave it on all night and then go home or to a bar or something and watch the game. And so Harry Carey could like listen to the game basically. And that to me, I mean, like to your point, Rob, it's just an intuition people have, you know, maybe he doesn't really believe that Harry Carey's dead body is listening to the radio, you know, but through the physical stuff, like he, he is aware that Harry Carey still exists you know, in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And this is the way human beings interact is through physical offerings of beer and apples, you know, listening to baseball games together and stuff like that. Uh, and why do people visit graves? You know, it's sacramental. Why, why should we, why did the Pope say, even if you cremate, you should bury your loved one's remains? Well, part of it is so that you have somewhere to visit to talk to that person and pray for them. You know, on All Souls Day or on anniversaries of their death or their birthday or Mother's Day or Father's Day, people do this scattering of ashes. And it's like that to me is a is a slap in the face of a sacramental worldview. You just think all we are is dust and just throw throw it to the wind. You know, this person's gone, but they're not gone. And that's why we have all these traditions. But, um, you know, to your point of like we systematize it or put philosophical words um, but what is it really like? Like I've been thinking a lot about uh, the whole idea of God's will and doing God's will 
or thy will be done. And how I like, I've always felt like I don't understand what that means in some, I mean, again, intellectually, I'm, I understand what it means and I understand what cooperation with grace means, but what does it actually look and feel like to do God's will? Oh man. You know, but I, I think that my experience has always been, it's just an unfolding. Somebody asked me recently, I was talking about something I'm doing here at the parish and, and I just said, well, I mean, in the end, it doesn't really matter what I want or what's possible. It just matters what God wants. And they go, well, what does God want? And at first I felt it as like an accusation, like, are you not praying and asking this question and you don't have an answer to it? But then I thought, what does that question even mean? You know, I, how could I know? His will is unfolding before my very eyes and inside my own heart and desires and uh, things happen and you respond. You know, what is God's will? What does God want? In some ways, like the answer to that question was for us to have this conversation because that's what's happening right now and to be fully present in it. And, you know, like, so that this was a particular situation of planning something or like trying to program something. And, and uh, you can use the God's will thing as like an escape act from having to deal with the nitty gritty of like, permission slips or Excel spreadsheets or budgets and things like that uh, and be like, well, you know, if God wills it, it will happen or what does God want? And um, it's sort of like the transcendent over and above the imminent. But my experience, and I don't know if this is getting what you're talking about, is that you dive into the most mundane details of a thing, um, maintaining a robust spiritual life where you're examining and reviewing and living in a, living an examined life in the presence of God um, and recognizing his authority, but you do your job and the, the will of God is made manifest, you know, and that, that, that to me is the sacramental worldview, you know, like you just, you are present to reality and God is present to you in it. I do think there's, yeah, I like that a lot. <clears throat> but I think there's something with even the mundane, like the details. Um, and I agree. And that is said in big time, this, like specifically this semester, like how important that is. Um, and I guess like in my life now, like it's capacity as a seminarian, like, you know, it's pretty small things, but it's like how important it is to return people's emails and how important it is to call people back when they call me and, you know, whatever. Um, and there is like, honestly, that's, that's like a real discipline for me oftentimes. And I think that like, that's very, that's very good. I know it's very good for, for me. But even even like thinking on um, like even the notion of like details or like the mo- most mundane like little things, what I've also found in the things that I like love most to do is that like the details are like some of the most delightful parts of and actually we were talking a little bit about this last night, but like as I've deer hunted over the past 10 years or whatever, I am like exponentially a better deer hunter now because of my understandings of the details that go into that. So like stand placement and wind and like crops are and shots and everything that goes into it. But like that is what's so much fun about it because it makes me such a better deer hunter. And you, I mean, you can certainly use that analogy for, sports and i don't i don't know like maybe you can't make that jump to like the spiritual life or whatever but um like when you're the feeling not not like an explanation but like the feeling of living in god's will it's it's like 
do those details, do those mundane things themselves become like little joys, little nuances and like peculiarities of your call and your life. And like, I guess eventually do even the things that like make you suffer do that. I mean, that was, that's a Therese. I mean, Therese claims that in her life is that suffering itself is sweet to her at the end of her life. And I, I think you take her at her word for that is like her whatever it was sacramental lens or whatever you call it like had been so, transformed so profoundly this isn't like pious talk she's talking about that like suffering itself became sweet not because it didn't hurt or anything like that but because she knew in her bones that was God loving her because God was real and this life is is real that she's living and so maybe that's even back to like my question of like making a distinction or knowing how to explain the difference between magic and sacrament like you hear even that language like you hear in today's culture and world like the magic of christmas and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and it's all fine like because there is something like emotional and kind of almost like guttural about it at least you know for uh, you know, it can be, you can be in different spots and it might be like repulsive, you know, if it brings up a lot of hurt or pain or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's not it's not real. Like it, it's make believe and it's pointing to something real. And maybe that's the whole point is like sacrament is actually real. Um, yeah, but that is so hard to explain. Well, I'll give it a shot. I think yeah. that the Therese thing, that's immediately what I thought of when you were talking, that what it, I think what it means to believe in sacraments. Hey, 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 before you get going, mm-hmm. your sound kind of did a funky twist. Yeah. And I think it's still there. I don't know if you want to try and fix that. You're not as clear as you were. How about now? Yeah, that's better. Never interrupt me again. Um, what was I saying? Oh, the... Uh, <laughs> The Therese thing. <laughs> I think that the sacramental worldview is hey, this. Hey, Father, Father, Father. Hang on. <laughs> I yeah, will. Just, oh, wow. Are you waiting for that? Yeah. You wanted it. Your life is over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm editing everything you say out. Um, that there's no way to God but this way. You know, what magic, I think, is, is like you're trying to shortcut or short circuit the path and trying to kind of cheat and manipulate the uh, sort of realm of the spirit in order to make things different in the way they really are, you know, in this world. And the sacramental worldview is like, no, it's not by hovering above uh, physical reality that you, I don't know, that you enter into transcendence. You don't, it's not a withdrawal, in other words, from uh, what's in front of you but rather an immersion in it in its truest sense, like Therese did in the little way. Um, And what was my point? Dang it. This happened to me, dude. This was something I wanted to mention. This exact thing happened to me yesterday. Spill it. While you were preaching? While I was preaching. I had a complete brain. This has never happened to me before. And it was, maybe I'm like losing my mind. But mm. so the, the story goes really briefly. The Cubs game was Wednesday night and I postponed RCIA to Saturday. I made sure everybody could do that or everybody was in favor of it. Because I mean, it's game seven of the World Series. Cubs haven't won in 108 years. Come on. So I postponed it for Saturday, stayed up and watched the whole game. And then I had an all day field trip on Thursday then an event in the evening, and then Friday I had mass, uh, funeral, wake, youth group. Saturday was also full. Part of it was the postponed RCIA class. So I really didn't have that much time. I'd read the readings, but I didn't have that much time to like really prepare a homily. And so I was going to get up early on Sunday morning, which I did, but I, I'd forgotten it. Somebody told me Saturday morning, like, remember to change your clocks. And I just thought, oh, my phone automatically changes. But my alarm clock doesn't. So I, I set it for 5.30 in the morning, got up. And I was just going to 
you know, do some, do some homily prayer and composition. And I realized, oh, it's actually 4.30 in the morning. Wow. Um, and I thought I had, for some reason, I thought I had the early mass, which I didn't. So it ended up being, I just had like six hours of time before this mass in which I prepared a homily, prayed, prayed about it, prayed kind of just the rosary and, and different things, read some a little bit. But it was almost like I was too confident. Like I had it in my head and I thought, okay, this is easy. It's like monkey bars. You swing from point to point and it all makes sense. It's tight, gets to the end. And I, I think I was overconfident. I wasn't, in retrospect, I don't think it was as good a homily as I thought it was. But it was like one of those moments where I'm sitting in the presider's chair and you guys don't know this feeling yet, but you'll have this interior dialogue with yourself. Like, am I too confident about this? homily am i am i just you know because you you say as you go to the ambo cleanse my heart and my lips almighty god that i may worthily proclaim your holy gospel and i always kind of include both the homily and the reading of the gospel in that prayer like let me not just talk to get attention or to be a good talker but actually what what this is for the sacramental thing which is the word of god speaking through the ordained minister but anyways, I, I was especially aware of that because I was confident about the homily, but I also, while sitting listening to the readings, was thinking about my homily, and I thought, oh man, what was that second point or whatever? Well, it'll probably be fine. And then I get to start talking, and I'm like five minutes in, and it's just blank. It's never happened to me. I was like, there's three reasons we do this. One is this, and the second one is... And oh, it was no. like when you miss a monkey bar on the playground. And so I just, I just kind of spewed some word salad for a little bit, trying to circle the, circle the plane until I could land it on my point, but it just wasn't coming. And, and it was like that moment when you realize this is happening and you go from like confident talking to the people and they're really engaged and they're all looking at you and that's a good thing. And then you have nothing to say or you, you realize, like, I've completely biffed this. And it immediately is like, what are you people looking at? <laughs> and like you, you feel completely nude and exposed because you have nothing to say and everybody's looking at you waiting. And it was like the, the most I've ever sweat because of some kind of embarrassment or nervousness. Uh, I, I, I'm sure I got completely red. Anyways, I recovered. I, I, I just completely forgot the second point and I skipped to the third point. And it, and that was, it's, you talk about the unfolding will of God. Uh, you know, in some ways I was probably more prepared for this homily or felt more confident about this homily than any other homily or at least equivalent. And, it was like just complete meltdown. And I went to immediately after the mass, I went to, uh, and I kind of played it off. I made a joke, but I went to the blessed sacrament afterwards that we have in our house. And I was just like, I can't just go and pretend that this didn't happen. I have to like relate this in a big way because what I realized was that you know, so much of myself, and I think that the whole world does this, the whole human race does this to some extent, like we kind of see ourselves through other people's eyes. You know, so much of our own self-image is what we think other people think of us. And I, I had this image in my head of like, just everybody's eyes looking at me as like a mirror. And I'm, I'm just looking at myself through them. And... Hey, your sound is sucking. Really? Yeah, it's yeah. like we can we can tell what you're saying, but it's breaking up big time. Well, you don't have to worry about that because it's recording on my computer. So as long as your your guys' sound, oh, that's isn't true. Bad, that's true. Okay. So don't worry about it. Yep. Can, so you can understand. So you me. can hear us, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can we can follow you. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I don't want to get too deep into this other reflection. And lose where we were, where we were at. But I, I was listening, I'm still reading that Fire of Mercy book. And the part, I'm still in the Sermon on the Mount. And the part where, like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give alms. 
and when you pray go to your father in secret and the, your father who sees in secret will reward you and don't go to the street corners and seats of honor and, and show how pious you are how good you are how generous you are and for the first time i felt really challenged by that because i'm like even i think this is the big temptation for priests is to is to although you don't have any of the riches of the world or um or other pleasures you have at least the pleasure of people thinking you're a good guy or you're talented or you're good at your job and that becomes kind of an important thing and something so sim simple as like a humiliation in front of 400 people like that um i found myself thinking even in my head as it was happening like well, maybe I came off as kind of humble because I, you know, didn't let it bother me that much. Do you get what I'm saying? Like that, that itself mm -hmm. was a trying to like save face mm -hmm. when in reality, like the thing to do in that moment is to say like, God's will is for me to just be humiliated for my own sake. Hmm. You get what I'm saying? Like that, that to me yeah. is oh, yeah. the will of God in that moment. Why I felt so strongly I had to go pray even for five minutes just to, just to dive into that a little bit mm -hmm. and experience it for what it was supposed to be, not try to fly from it and like guard my ego. And, um, again, I don't want to make too big a thing out of it because it wasn't all that embarrassing and I'm not having trouble looking, looking anybody in the eye, but there was this, this nakedness feeling in front of people that made me so uncomfortable that I thought, am, do I do this with God? Do I pretend like I'm just great? You know, everything's fine. I'm taking care of business and I'll let you know if I need you, you know, cause carrying that into the spiritual life uh, is poisonous, you know? And there's there's just this, I think that's what the magic thing is. Like with the Cubs winning the World Series, watching that stuff on TV, watching all those people in the streets, uh, watching the rally with 5 million people at it. It was like, I wouldn't even want to go there because I would just be one more face in the crowd or I'd be, you know, all you would really experience is the 10 people surrounding you, not the awesome 5 million, uh, whatever people and, and all this, what this rally means. Like I wanted to eat the whole thing. I wanted to just have it all. Mm -hmm. But the only way to really enter into something like that is just to be one person in the midst of it. You know, this is really, really abstract, but that was my feeling this whole week is like, it's the smallness. It's like the littleness. It's being constrained by reality in its most mundane, its most particular that you are brought out of it into the transcendent reality of what's actually happening in your life and where actions and words and thoughts and desires come from is this secret place in the interior of every human heart where only that person and God can see it. You know, and we... We create all these facades or, or I don't know, like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, it, we, we don't, what we want is like shortcuts. We want, oh, the Cubs won the World Series. And now I, what do I want about that? I want to be a part of it. I want to have it. I want all of the joy. I want all of the, and we try to like design it just the way we want it. But Maybe the thing to do is, is to just be with the people that you're with, you know, acknowledge it for what it is, enjoy it. But the moment you try to make it something that it's not, that's when it, it will break your heart. That's when you get disenchanted because in the end, it's just baseball, but it can be a way to like bond with your dead loved ones. It can be a way to feel pride in your city. But if you try to make it God, you'll just, it'll just devour you or you'll try to devour it and it will disappoint you. Does that make any sense? All that crap I just said? A little, I'm a little confused, honestly, of like the point. It you made were, sense in my head. If the point you were <laughs> making though, like what were you trying to say? Cause you brought up like the magic versus sacrament again. And that I the didn't way, know. the way to God is 
the step-by-step, moment-by-moment, particular experience of your life uh, as viewed from the perspective of your, of your inner being, of your heart, which only you and God are witness of, you know, and like the thing about the Cubs parade, the connection there was, okay, so how am I going to experience that? I can experience it through TV. I can, I can read the live tweets of the players. I can go to the rally, but even then most of the people are going to the rally because I want to be a part of history and they're taking selfies and I was here and they're, they're like trying to show other people, you know, like they're not entering into, this is a judgment, but I think generally speaking is probably true that most people there were not just entering into it as it was for them as that one person standing there on Michigan Avenue, probably like 50 people deep, unable to see the bus, unable to make out which players they were actually looking at. You know, like, um, they, it was like a projection of all that social media is, is like you, you just, are constantly concerned about like how other people see you or how you see yourself as part of something rather than the, the really nitty gritty, like truth of things, you know, that was what I was scared of when I biffed the homily was that like, what's really true is that I'm an idiot and I have nothing to say right now. And that scares the crap out of me because Mm. everybody's looking at me. What if that, what if they knew that about me or all my insecurities or all like who I really am deep down? Right. Well, and added to that, the even truer thing, which I think is sort of like, is actually what you're talking about is the realization that, wait, do I live my life according to how I think other people think about me? Right. Was that the realization that you had of like, yeah, am I just, am I just looking at everybody looking at me? Right. And so that's what you're looking at in while you look at the Cubs rally is like, are there just a bunch of people who are looking at other people looking at them? Which is, <laughs> sounds like crazy. Talk, well, that is very true. That of actually the players, made sense in my head. The, of, the, of the players, at least, you know, they yeah. are. That's what's thrilling about that moment is that you're looking at everybody looking at you and worshiping you. But even the people in the crowd, like all, all of us do this. You know, we don't enter into the moment of it. Because, I mean, like the the complete. I heard Jerry Seinfeld talk about this. The 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 apotheosis of this is like players on a bus taping the crowd with their cell phones. You're like, this is this moment that you'll you only get to live one time, probably in your whole life, and you're looking at it through a screen so you can watch it later, you know, or show it to other people or post it on Instagram or something and have people like it or retweet it or, or whatever else. And it's like, instead of really sitting in that ticker tape parade kind of thing and just like soaking it in for what it is and not trying to like make it an eternal moment, just acknowledge that it's a temporal thing that's not going to happen again. It's happening right now. It's going to be over soon. Then you're going to get sick and die one day and it's all going to be over. But this in entering into it, life in this way, even into the into every joy and pain, every triumph, every humiliation for what it really is, that that's the way to God. That's the way to like actually eternal life. But we, either through the eyes of other people or through like ways of trying to like souvenirs or artifacts or things that we hang on to that kind of represent a moment. And those things are are good too in their way. But we have a sense of grasping and that to me is like the Adam and Eve move. We grasp at things that aren't eternal because we won't let them go and be grasped by what's actually eternal. You know, this person, God, who is unfolding your life moment by moment. Um, and that's, that's the way to eternity is like complete renunciation of of the desire to make the temporal eternal, eternal, you know what I mean? Again, I'm rambling, but that makes sense to me in terms of my experience of a being exposed for a dingus at Sunday mass, where you feel most like you are on to, to be the God man and not have any faults and do everything perfectly. And then this Cubs thing. 
Should I just throw this audio away? <laughs> if this makes any no, sense. No, no. And I'm going to try <laughs> and make an attempt to bring it to the sacramental. Because I... Well, I don't know. The thing that came to mind when we were talking about, like, what exactly do we mean by a sacramental world worldview? And, you know, kind of gathering what y'all said and what came to mind for myself is it's something like creation is not arbitrary. And um, like through creation, we're drawn deeper into relationship with God. So that so every aspect of creation, whether it's time or whether it's like the material, um, whether it's our neighbor, whether it's our family, it's not arbitrary. Like that, that's actually important of the place where we're born, the place where we live, the people that we know, uh, the time that that we're gifted to live here, like all those things, they're not arbitrary. They, they mean everything because, and this is to your point to the magic versus sacrament thing is it seems like when people talk about magic, it's a way to use things to shortcut to the end. Um, Whereas a sacramental worldview says like through the use of these different things, um, it brings you into relationship, which is the whole point of it. It brings you into relationship, not to shortcut it, but it brings you into relationship with creation, which is in effect like allowing God to reveal himself to us through people, through time, through place, through events. Um, so where was I going with that? So, well, that was just the big difference that I had with uh, the magic and sacrament. I don't, and I don't know if that makes sense. With that explanation, <laughs> does it? That it's it's not arbitrary. Like the time and the place that we are. Now that I am pretty thoroughly confused, but I'm gonna throw I'm gonna <laughs> throw this I'm gonna throw this in there and see if this can bring us back. Maybe, but when so we were in Cywick's homiletics class last week. Dude, Cywick is not going to clarify things. That's true. That's true. <laughs> he would probably, probably like this episode. He probably would like this. We're getting into so, space land. Connor, when <laughs> you were talking about like the your homily versus like the Cubs prayed, like at one point I thought like what you were getting at was like it could it sounded initially like you were saying like the cubs like winning the world series and this parade with 5 million people doesn't matter and i don't think that's what you were saying but that's kind of what i heard hmm. at first and that but i think what you're saying is like you have to see things like in reality it, it, to understand like what's actually happening, but also how God is revealing himself in that moment. So you can't try to, like, with your, like, you know, kind of, uh, whatever you want to call it, like the little skiff or whatever in your homily on Sunday when you forgot the second point. Like, you could try to use magic and, like, spin that in some way about, like, how actually it was good that you forgot that second point and blah, blah, blah. Or if you take a sacramental view towards it, it's like, no, like that was, you know, like that was just you being you. Like it's okay to say that, that like you just screwed up a homily. And like through that, kind of like in that very ordinary, like mundane circumstance, uh, like that's exactly where God's going to work in it. Like that's where transformation is going to happen because you know who you are now better than you did before, or at least that's the invitation. I don't know, but Cywick. So I preached a homily last week and I talked about the Cubs winning the World Series and blah blah blah. But uh, I saw this interview with a girl after the Cubs game, and she said it was the best day of her life. That was her like national television. She's at the Cubs party at Wrigley Field after they win game seven and she says this is the best day of my life and I put something in my homily to the effect of like I don't know what it was it was just a little line of like uh you know we could laugh that girl off and say that like she finds her fulfillment in the Cubs instead of God but what would happen 
if we told her, like, this is just a sliver of the happiness that God wants to give her. And Cywick's point after the homily, that was like one of his critiques of my homily, was like, you shouldn't apologize for what you're trying to say. And so he was like, what if you told her this was the love and happiness that God wanted to give her? And to me, like, that was a sacramental worldview. Because it's like, yeah, it has to get better. But in that moment, like, that is how God wanted to fulfill her. And so that's, I guess, like, the way of seeing, like, what do you have to believe in order to see or whatever that question we initially said was. It's like, God's will is what is directly in front of you in, like, the tangible circumstances in your life right there that is how god is loving you it's in the big things and the little but that that line to cywick like stuck out of cywick's stuck out to me like what if you told her that is what would that do to her if you told her that is how god is loving her and like certainly he wants to give her more but in that moment that's what he wants to give her so i don't know maybe i muddied the waters a little bit but that's how i at least like made sense i don't think you can make them any muddier yeah (laughs) yeah so i don't know where we are well i i I can just say that that wasn't my maybe what i what i'm trying to get at is like a little with the cubs thing is that a little bit of disappointment on my part because i it wasn't the happiest day of my life it was just a day you know like it was Mm -hmm. i got into the sport of it and really really wanted them to win but then when they win, you're just, you're in your living room and you have work tomorrow, you know, um, it just ends up being a thing on TV. So I I wasn't saying that it was worthless, but I was saying like, you have to let it be what it is in order for it to be even joyful at all, you know? Um, and that, that to me is like the particularity of it all is what's important. Um, but this happens a lot with sports with bandwagons and stuff is like people see how insanely cool it is for your team to be like a fan of a team that wins a championship that they'll just be like, yeah, I'm in, you know, I want to get carried away by that. And I think that happened, you know, there's not 5 million people in Chicago that are just like diehard gigantic Cubs fans. I think there was a huge portion of those people that were just like, this is really a cool thing that people get so into this and this is historic and I want to be a part of it, you know, and that's fine too. But, um, just to me, it would, would have been disingenuous, you know, like what, what is baseball or what's the point of sports and, and things like that. And the fact that the first thing after they win the world series is a commercial for buying shirts. It's like that, all that stuff in my experience makes it sort of like, empty and shallow yeah whereas i think it can be a way into something really beautiful and deep um but it wasn't for me you know and that yeah hey father the thing that came to mind which maybe i don't know the the story that c.s lewis tells in the space trilogy um the second book paralandra when uh you have the main character or the lady um that Eve figure who the whole concept, the whole idea is just receiving what's there in front of her mm-hmm. and believing and trusting that God will continue to provide that what she's receiving is directly from the hand of God. And the whole temptation, which we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, is to to store up, to reach and grasp at things that are temporal so that she can rest assured and be safe in the future, because like, well, what if it isn't provided? What if so? And and Cywick actually preached about this yesterday, um, and it's the point in a severe mercy, um, which is the reality that we're actually made for something timeless. And so these experiences of like the Cubs winning, of five million people getting together—that's that's what I keep going back in. Like, that's I a transcendent like, experience. I like what we've talked about, but cool things. Something cool does not bring, does not make five million people gather in the right, same spot. Right. Hmm. right. Like yeah. we're just, we're not there. Like we're not to where, we don't have our finger on what we're trying to say. 
Continue. You have a good point here, Mike. But that that's like just what's going through my mind. Of right. Like a cool thing does not make five million people get together. Right. I think I just want the world. I just want things to be a certain way, and I want to be happy and have things. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Um. And I think that everybody's like that. They just have like, we all have an image of what we're looking for. And when something kind of looks like it, it just sings to us, you know? And I think that a victory like that, a long awaited victory and the communal jubilation uh, around it just looks so much like it that people just want to be carried away by it and want to be a part of it. And, um, it, Hey, a thought that just came to me, it's in, it was actually kind of like the Benedict quote that you had in your homily, which is such a good quote mm -hmm. where he, he's actually talking about the world cup, but it's something like that experience gives people permission to, to realize that like, there's something bigger than me. There's something, there's something, uh, I don't know. Bigger is not the right word. Like the, I am not sufficient in and of myself. And I think experiences like that realize, allow people to realize that. But then it also calls them to like, now I have the freedom to go and like, to Peeper's point, like leisure, like live leisurely, where I now have the freedom to waste a ton of time with my friends for no reason. Like the Cubs won and people skipped work and like kind of, had they were unchained from the monotony of their everyday life which is i'm not saying that that isn't like outside of the realm of experiencing god but like where they're drawn out of themselves to the point where they are like out of their own life they're out of their own mind uh in the oh you know the maybe this so the etymology of the word ecstatic um ryan adorjan was explaining it to me the other day uh, not ecstatic exalt it's a combination of um x which is the out of and was it saltere which is to jump and so this idea of like when people exalt together it's similar to the ecstatic but they're like jumping outside of themselves and so when you have this when you have this experience where you realize there's more than just me i am not sufficient in and of myself um and that you're made for something like honestly, you're made. We're made for something more than that. Well, and rats. The Ratzinger quote I used. Yeah, he's talking about. He's reflecting on the World Cup, and he says in it, he says that to explain sports today as bread and circus for the for the masses, as some people try, like his literal line is like that's too weak of an argument to be a full explanation. So I think the way he took was he said that it's a concrete path away from the enslaving, like an enslavement freedom of like a work. I don't know. I don't know his exact quote. I don't remember it. But it's a concrete path to an enslaving freedom to a disciplined freedom. And that like that was I think that's his his quote um, in it is that it it actually offers like a concrete thing to to go from like enslavement to a real authentic actual freedom yeah. exactly um and it's one of the very few things that like we can use to talk about that that i don't know anyway. yeah well and and i think also to your point father why maybe that experience is so frustrating of seeing fans with five million, I'm sorry, players with five million people staring at them, uh, turning that into like they're taking a timeless moment and trying to turn it into they're muddle they're muddling it by turning it into this like stagnant um, once you know one time moment. They're, and they were also kind of picture. They were also kind of making it about them too. That was that was another thing that sort of yeah. rang false to me. Like uh, on the stage, you know. There's something, I, I'm not trying to say that this wasn't a big deal, 
or that 5 million people were wrong to, to gather. Like this really tapped into something deep and profound in the city of Chicago and the human heart. But uh, just the, I wanted it. What I'm looking for is like the perfect hmm. instance of what that was all about or why I was excited about or why I would have been excited um, at any age or, or, or whatever. Um, what I was looking for was like pure, selfless, like unlikely victory that we just all celebrated, you know, and then to see somebody with like a thermos with vodka and Coke in it and like somebody say a swear word to kind of like get a rise out of people or, or whatever, take a selfie just felt like, oh gosh, that's, that's just not it. Not, that's not yeah. what I'm looking for. That yeah. you're, you're making that about you and we're not here to, we're not here to to like we're here to cheer for you but because you are the cubs and we are the cubs because we're one we're one with you like there's the eddie vetter song they made a montage kind of a cheesy montage but it, it gives me chills every time i watch it the song is like with the cubs we are one with the cubs we're in love someday we'll go all the way he wrote it years ago and they put like a put it to a montage of people watching the game and cheering and and mm. the scoreboard lighting up cubs win and everything and it's like yeah, that it's the idea. It's like the platonic form of Cubs, the the relentless losers who 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 just kept at it and keep at it, and they you know took it on the chin for a hundred years, and they came out. You know, it's the same reason I like Rocky. You know, uh, that story, whatever it is, man, that's what I'm looking for. Like, wh why am why I'm alive? You know, it's because I want to be a part of that, but. Uh, yeah, so is the Cubs victory, do we, do we do we have to flee from that because it's not the perfect image? Of course not, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, for one, was just like, I'll just let it go, you know. Okay, that, that, that was cool. To me, it was a cool thing. You know, what you're saying is it had to be more than that. I guess, I guess that's true for, for some people and their subjective experience of it. It was like, tr it was the closest thing to transcendent ecstasy that they, maybe it was the best day of her life, you know, but it mm -hmm. wasn't, it wasn't the best day of my life, you know, cause I'm looking for some, I like, <laughs> that's what's frustrating about a human being is that you want, I don't want much. I just want more. Yeah. You know, the, the human heart is restless until it rests in God. Like what it, what strikes me about Augustine is that he's looking for utter, perfect, permanent, and overwhelming pleasure, joy, happiness, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And I knew that the Cubs thing was going to end. I knew that it wasn't, you know, the source and summit of my life. It was just like I let myself get carried away. It's awesome to let yourself get carried away in something. That is the cool. And, and maybe that's what you're talking about with bow hunting or anything else. Is like we long to be just lifted up and out of out of the mundane and into why it was so cool that like Chicago just didn't go to work on Friday, you know, mm -hmm. because something bigger than work happened. Um, but it's like, yeah, man, I just want, I want more and I want perfect. And yeah, dude. And that's the perfect like spot for the gospel to come in. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, that's, Hopefully, where we're heading towards. Mm -hmm. it, I, I'm just thinking of a moment that I had in high school that uh, it's just kind of been been coming to mind. I, when we played against one of our biggest rivals, and this is actually on, on YouTube, I hit the... Oh, I talked about it on the podcast. I hit a big shot, and like we won. And everyone rushed the court, and it was so out of control. Like There was no... It wasn't worth people trying to grasp at or take photos of or like trying to remember in that way, trying to preserve it. Um, and so it was just total insanity in this gym. Like the small school, nobody cares about this outside of our little community. And I remember thinking like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened <laughs> ever in my uh -huh. life. You know, in a high school or like playing basketball, like this is just the, the apex. I have reached the mountain. And I remember coming in the next day, it, maybe it was two days later, like for a practice, and my coach pulled me aside 
and he's a, a profoundly spiritual um, Catholic man. And he pulls me aside and he was like, hey, like, I just want to let you know that, that was like a really special moment. Um, but we're only halfway through the season. And I remember he said, that was a great moment, but that's not going to be um, that's not going to be the high point of our season. Like we need to have a better moment than that. And I remember the feeling in my stomach was like hit, like my heart sank into the pit of my gut. And I thought to myself, that's, that's not possible. Hmm. Or like, how could you possibly want more? Yeah. And, and there's something about that, like where his perspective on it is totally true, but also how I was feeling was totally true as well. Well, there's like there's like a move of, and I don't know why we do this, but there's an immediate whenever we hear because I think we all have examples like of something like that yeah. that quote unquote like brings us back to earth yeah. or like brings us back to reality. And I guess the question is like, why do we have to like, why can't we just? If Christianity is just like this movement towards God, like whatever you want to call it, like a, a journey towards God, like why can't we just stay there? Why can't that be our platform then and like take the next step that's just going to get better and better? Because like when I hear something like that, it's like, okay, enjoy this for a minute, but then like come back to earth. It's like, why not like why not just stay there and then let it get better from there? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, but so this is, I guess, this is what I was trying to unsuccessfully get at with the humiliation homily thing and the yeah, sure. Therese little way is like, I I knew deeply at the moment of of the victory that like this is really great, but ultimately not. It's not the way you know to what I'm yeah. really looking for. Yeah, the absolutely. way the way to what I'm looking for, I know by experience and faith is to just dive into whatever the heck is happening to me right now, you know? 100%. Not yeah. not try to, like, fabricate an experience of transcendence by, like, okay, I got to get on the... I got to get on the train at 4.30 in the morning because I want to tell, you know, my nieces and nephews and their kids one day that I was there, you know? True. Like, that to me, I knew... You talk about discernment of spirits, a discernment of God's will. It's unfold. It's not like some magic thing that I was told by a lightning bolt. This is, this is what you should do. It was just like I knew that the thing for me to do to get to where I'm going, or, or the thing that I'm really looking for, this perfect victory, perfect transcendence, joy, is to just uh, say no to the things that I know won't give me that, and say yes to the things that I know will. Yeah, and something so simple as biffing <laughs> the homily and and sweating in front of 400 people because I don't know what to say to them and just like go go to the chapel go to God and just immediately like live in that whatever the heck that is you know what I mean and that Dude, I trust it, that that is the way we've said it before yeah 100% the move of the saints is down it's yeah. not up yeah. mm -hmm. and that's that's it man yeah. and like yeah even because at the end of the day it like the world series doesn't matter like yeah. at at all like how beautiful is it that like you know um there's probably some like cloistered nun somewhere that like was a huge cubs fan growing up and she gave up all that so she could go and like pray for the world in some cloister yeah. somewhere because that's better yeah. mm -hmm. but it's just like how do you speak to those five million people that are there and like get them one step closer to the gospel yeah. like i think it's through it and i think you're saying that too but well, and yeah. even, I, I mean, I think just our conversations around it, like, I, what a joy for us to be able to look at it through the lens of like, okay, this is great, but it's just not enough. Yeah. Like, eventually, this is going to run out. And like, I even think with the Therese line, like, she goes down because, or she finds joy in that suffering and going down because that's where a relationship is for her. Mm -hmm. That's where she encounters Jesus. That's why it's sweet. Mm -hmm. Not because it hurts, not because... Suffering is good, but that's where Jesus is. Yeah, man. All right, we got to go to class. Good talk. Good talk. Go Cardinals. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
Losers. We're gonna repeat, dude. Then it'll be even better. That's dude, what. That's what we need. Then it'll make it. Yeah, in 108 man. more years, when people are freaking talking about like, oh, the Cubs are gonna do it. It's been since 2016, <laughs> and the Cardinals have like 12 more championship rings. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, with modern technology, we'll still oh be God. probably podcasting. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll talk have a good week, man. All right, later, guys. Bye. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.